You ready? Yeah. Hi, my name's Paul. And my name is Reese. And you're listening to No Garnish. Hello, Reese. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? You can tell I've been on holiday, can't you? Yeah, where, where have you been, Paul? I have been to Spain. Oh my God. España! Ha ha ha! Ha ha ha! Ha ha! Donde esta la playa? Did you, did you have a good time? I had a lovely time. Did you? Thank you. You look radiant? Yeah, you look radiant. You look like you've got a bit of sun kiss. Where did you go? Little town called Villanova. Villanova. Next town along from Sitges, the gay capital of Europe. Oh, yeah. I've not been to Sitges yet. I've been told that I should go. Are you still clubbing? No. It's quite a clubby town. No. no. I don't want to go there, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, I'm gay, so I should go to Sitges because that's where gay people go. That's where your kind live. That's where my kind live. <laughs> that's where my people live. Um, so, uh, what did you get up to when you were out there? Just relaxing, chilling out, hanging out, watched a few movies. Oh, went to Barcelona one day and went to a virtual Dali exhibition. That oh, was yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, that looked really trippy. There right. was like a big room where they're playing like immersive films mm. featuring his art. That was very cool. And then there was a virtual reality part. You're right. on the deck of a boat. And you're on this boat and you're in like Dali land. And then you're in the desert, the boat's in the desert. And it's, you know, like one of the, one of the Dali things, the, the elephants with the huge, long, Penises. almost giraffe, <laughs> almost like giraffe legs, Penises. except they're even <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, that, and then there's one. a bit where the ants are coming onto the boat. Oh, wow. It was, it was quite cool. But there was one bit I didn't understand. Yeah. You can see the other people who are in the virtual reality because everyone's represented by like a floating diver's helmet right? Okay. with a number. Right. And then there was one of the diver's helmets that was just low to the ground the whole time. And I'm like, why, why is it low to the ground? And it was only when we, at the end of the experience, when you took off the VR goggles. Yeah. And I looked over and it was just someone who was just throwing up. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't handle it at they all. They couldn't handle They'd the They spent uh, the VR. whole time on all fours, just oh, like God. feeling nauseous. Oh, really? Oh, that's why the diver's helmet's <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> that's so funny. So you couldn't actually see the other people, but you could just see the diver's helmet. It was just, rep- yeah, yeah. Oh, is that was- so you wouldn't bump into them? Yes. Yeah, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So what have you been up to? Well, I've been, yeah, doing these acting workshops recently, and they've been really fun. been nice to get back into doing improv again. And it's reminding me that um, the importance of it is kind of like a gym for my personality. Um, <laughs> That's a nice phrase. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's kind of like, like a workout for my personality. It makes yeah. me, reminds me that I'm an outgoing person because I've done quite a bit of it now. It, it doesn't phase me. So I went to this new group on Thursday and I just walked in and I was just like, yeah, this is, this is easy. This is fine. Right. I can do this. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. And I and I would love to get to that point where I could be like that in the public domain. Do you know what I mean? And I, and it, all it is right. is exposure. You just have to kind of push yourself to do it yeah. more and more and more. When you say the public domain, do you mean your everyday life? No, to, to like perform to, oh, to a public audience. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's basically what I've been doing recently because, you know, I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last one, but I didn't get the part in the play. Um, um, it's just a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. So, you know, but you have to roll with the punches, um, and it's fine. You know, I didn't get the part, someone else did. That's just the way it is. And, but the thing that I'm taking from that is that actually, you know, just going to the classes and just doing that is just fun in itself. And actually, if you're not doing it for a career, all you have to do is have fun. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's very yeah. different. It's very different when you want to take it to something where you want to be paid to do. Yes, isn't it? You have to take it to such a different level. Mm. And I think you know. Uh, I think I'm just reminding myself that the joy is in in participation, and 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 the joy is about self discovery. You know, I think so much of our society is fixated on things becoming a job and things becoming a side hustle and making money from this and making money from that we lose sometimes the importance of just doing it just because it's good for you yeah do you know what i mean yeah so there we go that's what i've been doing nice so i think in the last class that we were talking the the theme of it was hierarchy yeah, yeah. um having like 
social status, you know, having high status and low status, mm. particularly in like uh, a town like Brighton, which is, you know, quite liberal. And we like to think of a, a egalitarian kind of societies that we don't like to think of people having higher or lower status. But in comedy and in storytelling, it's incredibly important to think of characters, you know, are you a high status or where's your status? Mm. Because that, you can get a lot of very comedic stuff happening when you've got high, low status. That links very well, again, into Triangle of Sadness. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm recommending this to you at the moment because um, that's exactly what happens. But what I most enjoyed about that is that it, it doesn't play out at all the way you think it's going to play out. Oh, right, good. It's not yeah. predictable in the slightest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, go and check out that and the, the, the twinks at the beginning you'll love as well. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's the main thing that's drawing me towards it. <laughs> 20 um, minutes of twinks. <laughs> Talking about hierarchy. Learned the other day that um, both pilots and flight attendants, they all have to compete and bid for the schedule that they want. Is that right? It doesn't matter if you're a flight attendant or you're the pilot. You've still got to compete against other flight attendants and pilots for your ideal schedule. Is like, that right? Like which flights you'd rather have. Yeah. Oh, right. They? Yeah. How do they compete? They're like you put in a bid, you know, like you put in a bid of interest. You go, right. oh, I, I want to be on that flight because it's like a nice cushy flight or whatever. Right. But then so do loads of other pilots and flight attendants. Right. Probably no one wants to do the really long, grueling 24-hour ones, do they? But everyone's going to have to... Someone's going to have to do them. Oh, I see. So it's not just divvied up in a fair way. You no. have to kind of bid on them. Yeah. Weird. And you have to have a kind of strange, like, battle royale fight to the death every time your schedule comes out. It doesn't matter. And they're put into yeah. some sort of arena and then they're sort of given a few items from the cabin and then they have to run to the center to scramble to get them so someone like wants the boiling pot of coffee because then they can really take someone out and then someone's <laughs> just left with like the sugar sachets and they're like oh shit what am i gonna do with this and someone's like ah i've got the plastic cutlery <laughs> but the real winner is the nuked panini wrap in the microwave because <laughs> you can just explode that sucker and like ah, i've got five of you fuckers already <laughs> but i've also written about flight attendants and thinking about you know if the shit hits the fan you know i was watching them on my flights oh yeah of Spain, course yeah because you've just been on holiday and you know they do the safety stuff they've obviously done that so many times oh god yeah they're just so bored there's, yeah. there's barely any performance in it but why would you like them to do a little song and dance like <laughs> give it a little gusto at least be a little bit engaged right because then it helps you engage right as the audience yeah but i was thinking you know if the shit hits the fan yeah your life is in their hands i guess yeah but then they're not exactly like survival trained are they they're no, they not are. like all like bear grills oh no they? no not on that level but they, <laughs> but they do all the proper um, emergency training don't they? oh i guess yeah yeah and some like sort of emergency first aid and stuff but if shit happens, yeah, people lose their minds, don't they? Yeah, but ninety percent of people on that plane will just go into panic mode and do the stupidest thing. Well, yeah, I think so, but I think maybe that's why people don't really pay attention anymore to the safety stuff because I think we've seen so many films where the pressure changes and then massive hole appears in the plane and then you know a lot of seats get sucked out and then someone gets twatted in the face by someone's luggage yeah. <laughs> and then they crash into the sea and you know most of them drown and then the ones that survive all get eaten by sharks like do you know what i mean does it matter that you've got this little whistle <laughs> and you've got a oh, yeah. top up thing <laughs> and you know like if it's going to crash someone's going to fucking do the cord of their life jacket and they're going to get while they're inside <laughs> still yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh fuck i can't get out now oh jeez i'm on easy jet and there's no bloody like room to get out anyway jesus christ <laughs> Have you ever been on a plane and ever thought it was going to crash? I remember um, landing in Canada or going, coming down to land in Canada yeah. and looking out the window and seeing a twister. Oh, my God. And I'm like, there's a fucking twister out. <laughs> oh, my God. Why is no one else <laughs> seeing this? <laughs> and all the Canadians are like, oh, yeah, that's just 
winter in Canada. And the captain, you know, he comes across, he just says, he doesn't mention the fucking twister. He just says, oh, we're just waiting for clearance today. We're just going to circle a bit. And I'm going, yeah, because there's a fucking twister out there. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, was... What? And, like, vans getting sucked up into it. And, like, <laughs> like all the electricity going, like, going off. And there's, like, a, an exploding fire truck or something. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. And everyone's just like someone next to you just doing Sudoku and you're like are you not seeing this <laughs> shit it's like am I the only person seeing this you're like they go where the fuck is the mask you're trying to yeah, get yeah. the mask down for you and of course he doesn't mention it though because yeah. then he the, the whole plane would be in panic wouldn't yeah. it yeah 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 I love the way captains are just so cool it's like we're cruising at a flight of <laughs> just got that Roger Moore kind of sound and they may as well just do that so reassuring they might as well just do that <laughs> that's all you want to hear isn't it it's like so that kind of reassuring tone of the yeah. man in charge yeah yeah and it is always a man i've never have you ever heard of female captain on a plane no it is very male dominated i've never it? heard of female captain um one of josh's friends is a, a, a pilot for EasyJet now um, male or female male yeah we played um, Dungeons and Dragons with him recently. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty right. funny, isn't it? Uh, I think his name's Thardon Hardaxe or something. <laughs> Did I tell you about that? This is your captain, Thardon Hardaxe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he gave his name and we were like, my God, that's the most like homoerotic name. And he hadn't... He just hadn't registered that Thardon Hardax was like a... Is he straight? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's the, the least straight Dungeons & Dragons name. So we've got Thardon Hardax. We've got Josh, who's like Falk Falcross. We've got me, which is Redver's Raid. So, like, quite serious characters. And then <laughs> um, Martin is um, a, a, a wood elf called Brian Keish. <laughs> Oh my god, the that's legend. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like I the most him. original like fantasy name I've ever heard. It is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we've all got really serious names and we've taken it really serious. He just rocks up, he's like Brian Keish. <laughs> genius the man's a genius <laughs> he's really funny actually he is really like yeah he's, he's quite hilarious playing with him i don't want to taste the egg i get off your big old dirty fly so today we're drinking a cocktail called the yukiguni 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 and it's a Japanese cocktail, very famous in Japan, but not so well known in the West. I've never heard of it. Yukiguni means snow country. Snow country? Yeah. Oh, right. It was created in 1959 by a Japanese bartender called Keichi Iima. Created it for a cocktail competition. It won the grand prize. So Yukiguni snow country is the name of both northern parts of Japan. Okay. Where there's lots of deep snow. And it's also a 1952 novel by Yasunari Kawabata, very famous, and he won a Nobel Prize for Literature in 1968. And Yukiguni was one of the novels that won him the Nobel Prize. So, let's try the Yukiguni. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, that's delicious. Oh, that's really delicious, really lovely. Mm. Mm, yeah, that's um, like sipping from a, a nice succulent plant. I was more how I imagine... Okay. A sort of very healthy succulent plant would taste like if you could drink it. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I mean? I kind of do know what you mean, yeah. It's a very mm. pretty cocktail. It's a very simple cocktail. What do you think's in it? I taste vodka and definitely sake. Oh, no sake. No, no sake? No. Oh, vodka, gin. No. Vodka, lemon. No. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it definitely tastes like it's got sake in it. I think that's just the vodka. Is it? I think that's just the grain taste of the vodka. No, because sake tastes different to vodka. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but there's definitely no sake in it. Is it not? No. I don't believe you. 
<laughs> it's got vodka, lime juice, and Cointreau, and that's all. Oh, is that it? So it's presented in a in a cocktail glass. It's oh, got yeah. a sugared rim. What's the which is very snowy, and in the bottom it's, it's a got green a green brain. It's got a green mint cherry in the bottom. Of a it. green mint cherry. Yeah. How weird! Which I didn't know you could mint cherries. Couldn't find any minted maraschino cherries, so I found some normal green maraschino cherries, and even those were quite hard to find. I mean, I've minted them myself. How did you mint them yourself? Used um, what do they used? You just roll them in toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what. <laughs> did I you did. just get loads of like polos, crush them up, and then roll them around in some sort of weird like pretend cocaine den? It's and like... you had to do it naked so that no one <laughs> thought that you were stealing the <laughs> crushed up polos. You know how I. That's work. what they have to do. You isn't know it? my methods. They all have to like work in those places naked, don't they? So yeah. they they can't steal any cocaine. Yeah. But then, if you've got boobs, can you like tuck some cocaine into your like boob folds? And my belly button's big enough. I could probably put a couple of grams in this, the belly button. But then you'd have like soggy belly button cocaine, wouldn't you? <laughs> Where were we? The Yuki Guni. So you like... So, well, how, yeah, you, you, were, you, were, you were minting cherries. I was minting cherries. How did um, you mint it? Use a bit of um, peppermint extract in the syrup. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Very simple. And the drink is really simple, but I think it's all about that presentation. It, it's so mm. pretty with the sugared rim and the green in the bottom of the glass. And it's so... And it, yeah, it is very evocative of the name. It really does feel remind me of like skiing and... You know, like when you go to like cold places and the air's so cold and the snow has kind of pushed all the toxins and all the pollution out of the air. So yeah. the air becomes very clean and very crisp. I really like, you know, I really like the rare times where it snows. I really love being. It's one of the things that I don't like about being in Brighton is that we never get snow, even when the rest of the country gets snow. We it's, never get it it's here. It's pretty rare, isn't it? It's yeah. incredibly rare. Um, and it's really making me want to go somewhere snowy next winter, mm. this drink. I, yeah. I, I'm really enjoying this, yeah. Good. I still think it's got sake in it, but <laughs> I'll just roll with it. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've um, licked a sugared rim as well. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> so you wanted to know about the novel. Yeah. Yuki Guni. Yeah, yeah. So Yasunori Karabata, so he was writing in the middle of the 20th century very influenced by modern artists. And he was kind of like to Japanese literature as Picasso was to art. Oh, okay. He kind of shook it up. He rejected the old-fashioned ways of writing. Right. And he brought a new style to it. Right. His writing style, very short sentences, very lean writing. So it's the story of a writer who lives in Tokyo called Shimamura, and he's got a wife and child in Tokyo. And one summer, he meets a woman called Kamako in this spa town. Kama, 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 And when he returns a year on, he returns... <laughs> just move on. <laughs> totally glazed over that. <laughs> so he goes back a year later to meet with her. But when he goes back, she's become a geisha. She's quite annoying. <laughs> I've got to be honest. As a character... <laughs> She's quite annoying. He, like, he's staying in this hotel, and she's always just, like, bursting into his room drunk in the, in the night. Right. And being a bit mad. Right. And then going off to carry on with her geisha duties. Right. Oh, so she's kind of, like, sort of breadcrumbing him. What's that mean? Well, like, breadcrumbing's like um, what you do online with um, people, where you kind of show interest, but you never arrange to meet up. And then you say, you uh, think, oh, the person, like, oh, you know, you don't hear from them for a while. You think, oh, well, they're just, they were just placating me. But then they'll pop up and go like, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, oh, they are still interested. And uh, then after okay. like a while, you, you realize that they're just giving you these little breadcrumbs, but they never actually intend to meet up with you. Right. Well, he's a bit like that as well. I mean, he's also annoying, but for different reasons. Right. Okay. Basically, Komiko is hoping that Shimamura is going to take her away from this life as a provincial geisha. Right. But Shimamura, he's very cold, and whilst he's obsessed with the aesthetics of beauty and is very kind of reflective and introspective, he's also quite fucked up and not really able to have proper human relationships. He's not really able to love. And they never get together in the end. Right. It doesn't have a happy ending. It's basically quite a bleak, despondent 
tragic story about wasted human potential. Oh, wow. It's not fun. Right. Later in life, he got into short story form. He was very into the short story form. Okay. And he distilled this whole novel into nine pages. Oh, wow. He rewrote it as a nine-page short story. Wow. So I read that version and then skimmed through the novel. Right. Which did you prefer? The short version. The nine-page version? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Wow. I wouldn't have wanted to read a whole novel of that level of bleakness. What are we going to talk about then? So we're in Japan. You've taken us to Japan for the cocktail. The cocktail has taken us to Japan. It's taken us to Japan, yeah. So Geisha is where I ended up going. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of very quintessential Japanese, isn't it? Did you know that the first Geisha were male? No. Yeah, they were called Tukamuchi. Tukamuchi. And for a long time, there were no such things as female geisha. Oh, wow. They were male geisha. And they were descendants of a Buddhist sect who became attendants to feudal lords. Okay. Tukamuchi. And they advised and entertained their masters and hosted tea ceremonies. Okay. When feudalism stopped, Tukamuchi were no longer needed as advisors, and they became party hosts, performers and storytellers, a bit like jesters, actually, in a way. Oh, okay. Dancing, singing, and playing the shamisen. What's the shamisen? It's that Japanese stringed instrument. It has three strings and a really long neck, and has that kind of doing, 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 doing <laughs> kind <laughs> yeah, of sound. Yeah, yeah. It's a shamisen. Oh, right, interesting. And there was a saying... An old saying that says, and this reminded me a bit of Nightmare Alley. There's an old saying that says, a man who spends all of his time and money on Takamochi will fall into ruin and his wife will kick him out and he will have nothing left to do but become a Takamochi himself. Oh, right. It's a bit so, like the geek, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, interesting. And apparently that's why a lot of men became Takamochi. Too much Takamochi, man. So they ended up often working in the pleasure quarters. So the pleasure quarters were basically they were like red light districts right and that's where you had legalized brothels right okay there's a hierarchy of prostitutes right and the top class of prostitutes were called oyam and their social rank was so high that it was actually higher than most men right like they had servants they could choose their clients right and they charged very high prices okay and the Tukamochi would act as go-betweens between the clients and the oyam right And they would also then entertain the guests while they were waiting to be seen by the Orion. Right, okay. Whose dress also was very... Like, when you think of geisha, you think of those very elaborate kimonos. Yes. And it was a bit like that, but even more ornate. Right. Really ostentatious. Right. There were all these little details that distinguish the different classes of prostitutes and... One of the things that distinguished the Oyan was that they had 18 centimetre high sandals. Wow. So they were kind of like stilettos of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just to make them look taller and power above people and be more commanding. Yeah. So, yeah. So, at the peak of their popularity, there are about five to 600 Takamochi in Japan, but now less than a handful exist. And the term geisha began to be used in the 18th century. And in most of Japan, geisha were called geiko. It's only really in Tokyo that geisha were called geisha. Oh, is, that's interesting. Why is that? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. But the first female geisha appeared in 1751, and by the end of that century, women outnumbered men in that role. Oh, okay. It had kind of changed. So this, here's another weird thing. So when the female geisha started to take over, and they're performing the same roles as the previous male geisha, they were more popular or as popular as the Oyan. And the Oyan complained to the government that the geisha was stealing all their business. Right. So the government made rules, very strict rules, that basically said the geisha can entertain but not have sex with people. Right. And the Oyan can only have sex with people and not entertain. Oh, right. Okay. And that settled, kind of created a balance and made everyone reasonably happy. Right. Okay. So what does a geisha do to entertain? Well, they're trained in the arts and they start from a young age. And so they're trained in playing the shamisen and singing tea ceremonies. I've been watching videos of geisha tea ceremonies. Mm. And you'd be like, Jesus, I just want a cup of tea. It's taking you forever. It's like, turn the bowl a quarter way that way, bow, say something. It's just, just give me the tea. Right, right. Yeah, so steeped in ceremony and tradition. And it's all very, very precise. Well, it's quite a mad thing, isn't it, to be trained from such a young age 
and all of that. But then if actually, if you think about all the pop stars of today and all of that, actually they start very, very young often, don't yeah, they? Yeah. In, in learning all of that, you know, um, you kind of have to in some ways really to become so natural at it all. And also, you know, back then there were no record players or anything. So if you wanted to hear some music, if you wanted some entertainment at your party or you wanted some background ambient musical you had to employ people to be there and to play it exactly you know it's so interesting isn't it how technology has kind of removed the need for people Mm. in so many situations where we would have normally have had to have someone yeah you know um and that's going to become frequently more with ai i know we've talked a lot about ai but you know that's going to be becoming more and more frequent isn't it it's going to remove the need for people that's pretty much exactly what happened to the geisha so up until the 1960s, every town would have these traditional restaurants called Ryake. And that was where customers could arrange for parties and often used by businessmen to have business parties and things like that. And it was like a given that you would have geisha hosting it. Right. And then in the 1980s, hotels and nightclubs started appearing more in Japan and they increasingly became the venues of choice for parties. And the geisha districts, which were known as Kagai, those areas in which Ryote were allowed to hire geisha for entertaining, they just began to fall into decline. Oh, okay. And then in the 90s, the Prime Minister, who was Hosokawa Morihiro, declared an end to the practice for his administration. And so that was really like the, the death knoll for geisha. And right. now, now there are less than 200 geisha in the whole of Japan. Really? Wow. You know, it's kind of that's kind of one of the important things, though, when we think about tradition, to have the human experience of our history that's why we are tourists because we want to go and we want to see the things that we've read about or seen in films or whatever yeah um yeah. to sort of enrich ourselves in the context of being human on this planet you know something i find interesting about when people sort of say about going on holiday and they just want to blend in and they want to be like the locals and everything and and I always think, well, actually, there's a big part of why I like going on holiday is to be a tourist, to experience it also as an outsider looking in. Mm. And that's being and that being just as valid as other people who want to, you know, don't want to be seen as a tourist because that's really uncool or whatever. I like doing touristy things when I'm on holidays. Mm. Because it sort of breaks the normality of my life. Sure, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's nice having that, isn't it? Yeah. And I think as the world becomes more homogenized with globalization, I guess maybe these kind of historically culturally important sort of anomalies like like this are going to become more significant really. But of course throughout time they naturally will be forgotten. Yeah. Because it's just what happens, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that old traditional Japanese culture is being forgotten and so a lot of the older Japanese are sort of quite sad about that. Really? And pining for that. So I was watching videos about the current geisha. Right. Because I was interested of why anyone would want to be a geisha. Yeah. Also, like, and you had ranks of prostitutes. There were also ranks of geisha. So, like, novice geisha were called Mako. Right. So there was there was a video that I found where they were interviewing, like, a novice geisha and, and why she wanted to become a geisha. I found her answers interesting. One, she really liked sort of traditional old Japanese stuff you know that was what she was into she liked kind of period dramas and so when she left school she was thinking ah maybe i could become a geisha because they're almost like a living embodiment of the past aren't they yeah and that's what appealed to her and also she liked the idea of all the strict rules and boundaries and order right comes in with that whole world right and i was thinking i was trying to think of an equivalent in this country, or just even in the West, of something like that. And I just could not think of anything like that. So I think in terms of, like, physical theatre and everything, you know, what we used to have in Europe was kind of mimes. Yeah. You know, but mimes are kind of, are thought to be a bit tacky now, aren't they? Because we've had so much, like, comedy pastiche on mimes, aren't we? yeah. And, oh, mimes are so annoying. But, like... In Europe, we used to have, I'm trying to remember what it's called now, but it was almost like a kind of, almost like a pantomime. Um, And it was a very sort of specific type of kind of like improvised comedy. And you might use masks and stuff. I saw Uh, the oldest, the the year above students at my acting course were doing it. 
And that was really interesting to watch. It's kind of like, you know, but yeah, very pantomime. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Because, um, you know, we just don't have that. We just don't live in that sort of environment. And no. I don't know. I don't no. and I think those old sort of jobs have kind of gone now because yeah. they're also, I think, you know, like socially they're sort of seen as being a bit undermining, aren't they, in, yeah. in our culture now? I mean, if anything, it's probably quite a secure job for women. I was looking at the plight of women in Japan. A third of single women in Japan live in poverty. Is that right? Most working women, 12 million women in Japan, are part-time employees. And if you're a part-time employee, you don't get the same benefits and you get lower salaries than full-time employees. Right. So have they got quite a um, a male-focused culture still then? Yeah, still. Have yeah, they? Very much so. Is yeah. it? They haven't, yeah. they haven't kind of gone through the uh, liberation that we went through, or we were going through now in the West. Because I think the the Second World War had such a massive impact globally, but I think in the West, the Second World War had a massive impact, and also the first. I'm just musing this off the top of my head. Yeah, the the reason why it didn't affect Japan maybe as much is because we went through the sec the first and the Second World War in quite relatively quick succession. Hmm. So I think. Because so many men died in both those wars, women were uh, given so much more opportunity to run the countries and uh, to, to to do jobs that normally men mm. it would have been for men to do. Yeah, and I think particularly in the Second World War, you know, when the men came back, a lot of the women were like, "No, well, we can do these jobs. We're doing these jobs. Yeah, and we're actually quite enjoying." doing these jobs thank you very much you know mm. um and we would quite like to continue doing these jobs we don't want to go back to being housewives at home mm. and of course then you had a huge teenage um population suddenly boom as well in the sort of 50s and 60s which which you know spurred massive social change and then you know that spawned you know the hippie movement and all sorts of like civil rights movement, you know, in America, particularly with like race. You know, I'm just seeing this from a very sort of limited view, really. But, you know, it's sort of interesting to think maybe what it was like in Japan. Maybe they didn't really have that opportunity so much because also Japan has been very closed off for centuries as well. Yeah. And I don't think actually closing your borders off to other cultures is a good idea because I think it is the thing that actually promotes advancement of societies is is the challenges that come with um cultural integration do you know what i mean yeah and it's not always easy cultural integration it can be very very difficult the process of that but i think challenges in society often promote change and advancement it has to but i think those older generations are still stuck with an attitude of not wanting that Oh, I don't think, I you think know, they're, inherently they're, people don't want to change, yeah. They're, they're very backwards looking. They think things were better in the past. Oh, yeah, I think, but I think everyone does to a certain extent. Yeah, I guess to a certain extent. But only recently you've had Japanese politicians in the news getting in trouble because they're, they're saying phrases like, you know, a woman's place is in the home. They're still saying that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, God. and it's only now that you the generations now, the 20-year-olds, the young 20-year-olds, apparently there's even a big difference between, like, young 20-year-olds and older 20s. Really? In terms of attitudes. And it's the young 20-year-olds and late teens who are much more much more in sync with kind of Western values well, of social change. I mean, that kind of makes sense because, you know, the internet... It's the internet, yeah. yeah ...has yeah. forced so much cultural kind of visibility. And then also there's been a, a huge influx, I think, in the last 20 years of Westerners visiting Japan. Hmm. I think mainly because of manga and anime coming to the west you know manga was a huge thing in the 80s and the 90s i was gonna it? say yeah and there was like a massive economic boom in the 90s but then that bubble burst in the early 2000s uh, what in japan yeah because uh, remember we were talking about this a few weeks ago weren't we of like how the night in the 90s it just everything japanese was cool yes it was just yeah. really cool and yeah it, and it kind of still is now but japan was thriving on that in the 90s yes yeah and, and now it's not well, I think I think the 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 huge significant thing of that was uh, manga, really, because like if you think about like Akira, a Ghost in the Shell, you know, Akira particularly was a huge, you know, um, inspiring thing for so many young people growing up 
you know, I mean, it hugely inspired things like The Matrix and Ghost in the Shell inspired The Matrix. Do you know what I mean? And of course, like uh, Studio Ghibli as well became, you know, like the Japanese Disney. Yeah. And actually, I didn't I didn't realize this, but in 1996, Disney made a deal with Studio Ghibli to be their sole international distributor. Oh, really? In the West. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Their international distributor. Because, of course, they have all the distributing channels that they've built up over the decades haven't they mm. so it kind of makes sense but i think studio ghibli is the kind of like the japanese disney isn't it when you yeah. think about it and those films have been hugely successful over the last 20 years haven't yeah. they yeah i was thinking about music as well because i was thinking in the 90s you had access in the west to japanese music kind of for the first time i wonder if that was something to do with cds because they, they yeah. were just easier to export than vinyl was yeah much much just lighter lighter yeah the physical yeah well i remember like um you know when i was a teenager and in my early 20s and when i went to san francisco um to amoeba records and that was incredible because it was such a you know amoeba records is like particularly back then was a real like culturally historical place to go to do you know what i mean that was definitely mm. on my list of things to see in san francisco mm. You know, and it was an amazing record store. It was on as mine well. as well when I went. Was it? Yeah, yeah. 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 It is an amazing store. Yeah, and um, and I made quite a bit of money in San Francisco selling the the poster that I did mm. for the Summer of Love, and so I I, I just spent like two hundred dollars on records. And the thing that I went to because I was really into stoner rock is is they had a whole section on Japanese stoner rock. Right. And I was like, wow! I was like, got Boris out and all these kind of really rare CDs, and I was like, right, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. You know. And and I always find that quite interesting, you know, the sort of um, the heavy metal kind of crossover when it went into J Japan and mm, a lot of Japanese yeah. people being inspired by Western heavy metal and, yeah. and you know, Acid Mother's Temple, like a huge um, super group of obscurity that has gone on for decades. And I think, you know, Acid Mother's at any one time has something like 40 or 50 members worldwide. Right. Do you know right. what I mean? You know, they have a few, like three or four core members that always tour, but they've got, you know, lots of people all around the world. And basically just because they've got this huge network, they just sofa surf and, and okay. as they tour around the world well do you yeah. know what i mean they're constantly touring but they're they're kind of like you know uh, modern day beatniks really right and their discography is nuts because they've got hundreds of records oh, oh. i didn't realize that <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah like you can buy i've got like several albums of theirs and they've quite a lot of the songs can be the same sometimes but just another iteration of it like i think pink lady lemonade is one of their most sort of famous tracks and there's probably about 30 different types <laughs> of that song right, right. <laughs> ranging from three minutes to like three hours <laughs> do you know what I mean thing it just i found the anti-geisha right the so, anti-geisha yeah so <laughs> like these days young japanese people they're forward looking right and something like geisha is very old-fashioned right and what i found was this trend that was in the earlier 2000s it's, it's kind of died out about five years ago right this trend called gangaro and gangro in Japanese means blackface. Really? So there were gangro girls. I'm going to show you a picture because I think you'll like the picture. So the style was orange tan. Right. White makeup around the eyes. Right. And blonde hair. So it was almost like a negative image. Like of an oompa loompa. Of a geisha. Like an oompa loompa. Let me show you this picture I found of gangro girls. Look at these guys. Oh my God. Oh my God. I've seen these before. Have wow. You? So they're kind of almost like making themselves look like Westerners. Yeah. Partly it was influenced by, you know, like the fake tans of people like Paris Hilton and the, oh, from, really? that, from that era. God, that's so funny. But it's taken to such an extreme. Yeah. It's like, it's quite grotesque. Yeah, it is. They look like drag queens. Yes. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's something that's really uh, interesting, actually, when you sort of, at the moment, seeing it happen, because something that I'm noticing at the moment is that so many women are now looking like drag queens because they're taking so much makeup advice from drag queens. Right. <laughs> so they end up looking like men who are trying to look like women. Yeah. It's like, no, this is like, you don't need to contour this much because you already are a woman. Yeah. 
And if you contour more, you're going to look like a man. Yeah. Like, it's so surreal. There was a great little clip I saw in the other day. Because I, I do sort of think it's quite strange from a, a male perspective who's also gay. So I'm not kind of in the heterosexual world. In, in the same way, I kind of sort of almost feel like I'm looking at it from an outsider in. I just don't understand what's happening with female cosmetic uh, makeup and, and lip filler and all this filler that you can have in your face and all this kind of stuff. Because there was a little video of, of like two women talking that was overdubbed and she was like, oh my God, you do it so well. And she's like, yeah, I just feel like one long eyelash extension. And the other one's like, yeah, I just feel like one long hair extension. And like, oh, you know, you look, you do it so well. Is that filler? You got so much filler. Like you're, you're doing it so well, girl. You look like you're, you're 27. Oh, oh no, you're 25. Oh, you, you're doing it so well. You look like a 25 year old who is looking like a 40-year-old trying to look like a 25-year-old. What? <laughs> and I think that is true. Like, there's a lot of women I see on, like, TOWIE and those programs right. where they, they're they young, but they've had so much work that they end up looking old, yeah. but then trying to look young. Yeah, they look I like 40-year-olds trying to look mean. like 25-year-olds, yeah, right. yeah. but they're actually 25. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. It's like, yeah. just stop. You don't need, like, really pretty women just putting all this augmentation. To, and they look like... They look like clowns of themselves. It's like... It's, it's got so absurd, this kind of, like, social media having to one-up on everyone that people actually end up stopping seeing their actual natural beauty. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's sad. Do. I've always assumed that that style looks good in Instagram. Like, it photographs well. Right. That's why I assumed people were doing it. Right, right, just because it photographs well. Because it photographs then. well. But but then you see them actually in the real world, and you're just the glowing orange. <laughs> I know, I know. Like these Oompa Loompas. Yeah, I know, they're crazy. They look like Spice Girls on acid, don't they? They do, that's exactly what they look like, Spice <laughs> They all look like baby spice. <laughs> yeah, on a but you're having it's a like, really bad trip, like, and there's loads of baby spices yeah, everywhere. Like even scary spice looks like baby spice, <laughs> yes. and it's like ah, this is more terrifying. Mel B as scary as baby spice, and Mel C is ah, like, what's happening? Oh no, I just and they're all zigzagging R at you. Like, oh, no, <laughs> it's kind of funny actually, isn't it? The spice girls are kind of coming back a bit aren't they with hey, that I whole 20 year cycle 30 yeah, year cycle hey, I love the Spice Girls do you yeah I'm glad they existed I'm not so glad they still exist but, <laughs> right yeah. no I, I think that was a really interesting kind of thing for like women like girl power wasn't it you know this whole kind of like new like you know it's market girl power well it's marketing isn't it have you it seen there's marketing. posters around town at the moment which is like like a really good example of the bullshit of marketing right just posters around town going Jewelry is self-love. And you're oh like, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. <laughs> jewelry is fucking jewelry. <laughs> jewelry is self-love. Yeah, but that's that's like a, a, a an age-old thing, isn't it? Really? <laughs> I've just got the sorry. Isn't I've it? got. The, I've propped up that picture and it's facing me, and they're fucking terrifying me. I'm gonna have to turn it around. We're gonna have to. Can you send that? We'll have to put it on our Instagram yeah, so well, people can see it. Yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> the more I look at it, the more tripped out I feel. <laughs> Jesus. I, I would love to um, go to Japan. I really want to go to it. I really want to experience what the culture is like. Because I, I've heard so many people talking about the culture. And I've known Japanese people as well. And I've known so many people who have gone to Japan. And I just really want to kind of take a little taste of that myself and just kind of see what it's like. I think you might be you a know. bit disappointed. Do you think? I, th I think unless you really know where to go. Oh, not, is it and very I, aloof? And I, not aloof, just very normal. Very normal. Yeah. I, I like to go to like, I, I imagine Tokyo's nuts and I reckon the rest of Japan is probably actually, yeah, quite normal. I mean, Tokyo is very normal. Was it? Yeah, if you're just walking around. Oh, I see. You've really yeah. got to do your research. Even in Shibuya. No, it's not crazy. Is it? Is it because know. it's it's kind of their culture is actually quite conservative. Yeah, so yeah. all the all the crazy stuff is behind closed doors some, uh, somewhere, and unless you know where those doors are, yeah, you're yeah. just gonna not see it. That's really interesting, actually. I was reading an article recently about subcal bars. Right. So there's this trend at the moment for bars catering to really niche subcultures. Right. The ones that I was reading about, there's like an S and M bar. Okay. And they have drag queens and stuff. And there, there was like a military-themed bar where you have to go through basic training just to get a drink. Right. And depending on your rank, 
how yeah. much training you've gone through depends on what drinks you can have. Oh, no so way. So you have to go through quite a lot of training to get the good drinks. Oh, my God, that's so much hard work. And I then don't want that when I go for a drink. No, I know, I know. And then there's a, there was another one I was reading about, which is like for model train enthusiasts. Oh, wow, I love that. Where, where people can bring in their model trains and run them on the track. That's amazing. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Oh, I love it. God, it's so weird, isn't it, the world that we live in? So the first cocktail we made was like an older Japanese cocktail. Yeah. And I thought, let's find a modern Japanese cocktail made by a female bartender. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that sounds great. And at the moment, Woodford Reserve have been doing a series on YouTube where they've got young Japanese bartenders to create cocktails using Woodford Reserve. And I've picked one of those. And both of the cocktails that we're having, I picked them both because what I found interesting about them is that they're Japanese cocktails, but using Western ingredients. Right. But I think what they do with those Western ingredients is very Japanese. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like that, the first one, the Yukiguni, it doesn't taste like a Western cocktail. And the next one that we're going to have, so although it's using bourbon, it's also using rose. Right which is not a flavour I'd ever thought to put with bourbon, because right. I wouldn't have thought it would stand up to it. Right. But I was making them the other night. It works really well. Oh, wow. So okay. let me I'll go make one of those. Yeah, I? yeah, I love one. Yeah, thank you. So this is our second cocktail of this evening's by a young Japanese bartender called Keiko Tezuka. And it translates as Urban Break Lemonade. Urban Break Lemonade. And I read that title and I thought, I'm sure something's getting lost in translation there. The Japanese title does sound better. It'll be Aban Bareku Remenado. Oh, wow. And what does that mean again? Urban Break Lemonade. Urban Break Lemonade. The Japanese for lemonade is Remenado. Remenado? Yeah. Oh, it's like reminiscing on a lemonade, isn't it? Remenado. It's like, I remember that lemonade. Anyway, try the Urban Bareku Remenado. Got a little rosebud on it. Yeah. A little puckery rosebud. It's made with rose tea. Is it? Oh, which, Josh would love which, this. Which are made with rosebuds. Proper Did you? rose tea, yeah. Well, and this is the rosebud that you put in it. So it's made with Woodford mm. Reserve, rose tea, lemon juice, agave syrup and cherry bitters. I made my own cherry bitters as mm. well. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's garnished with a slice of dried lemon and a dried rose. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Absolutely delicious. Nice, isn't it? I feel like I'm having a nice break in an urban environment. <laughs> Yeah. Having a nice lemonade break in an urban <laughs> environment. That's exactly what it's doing. Do you know what I like about these Japanese cocktails? Yeah. It's that, like Japanese foods, you've got these very clean and distinct flavours, and they're contrasting but complementing. Yes. Like, you wouldn't think rose and bourbon would work. No. But with the lemon and the cherry, it's just a symphony of delightfulness. Mm. Yeah, it's really, it's, really tasty. It's very charming. I think the really nice thing about it is that it plays with your tongue. So when you drink it, it doesn't feel like it's that much of a strong taste. It's got like a nice rose tea taste to it. And then it, when it washes over your tongue, it twangs it. Yeah. A bit like um, that instrument you were talking about. Yeah. And it's got, it's got quite a, a tangy twick to it, hasn't it? What? what? It's got like a twangy twick to it. A hasn't twangy it? twick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a new word I've come up with, twick. It's both zingy and mellow at the same time. Yeah, it's like I'm twicky. I'm not even sure how they did that. It's like twicky. Twicky, that's yeah. your word for it. Yeah, like zingy and mellow and twisty. So it's like twicky. Okay. Don't you think? It kind of onomatopoeia, like it kind of sounds like it tastes twicky. I sound like a... <laughs> I sound like... <laughs> I don't know what you sound like. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like I'm having a stroke. <laughs> yes. That's what you sound like. It's like Reese, Reese, face. I'm not that sure that that's Act. the word you're really looking for. But, Speed, you know. time, <laughs> fast. No. Well, this is delicious. Yeah, you like this one. Do you like this better than the other one? Yeah, I do. I really like the Yukiguni. Do you? Yukiguni. 
This is the opposite of that. The Yukaguni is very crisp and snowy and wintry. This is more summery, autumny, golden and mellow, quite fragrant. I like them both. They don't, I think they don't this, have to have one better than the other, do you? I can like them both equally. I, yeah, definitely. And I think this one would be really nice with a barbecue. Yeah. In the summer. I guess this is, I guess this is also a little iced tea like as well. Yes. Yes, it's, it is. It's like a fancy floral iced tea. Yeah, I've got sort of sitting out on a porch vibe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm imagining I'm sort of in a sort of slightly weird sort of urban disused area it's sort of like crumbly sort of like like it's kind of like on an industrial bit of town that's all a bit sort of dilapidated and a bit sort of like lots of grass growing out of the the concrete and everything and then there's this kind of old sofa that's been left out and it's got a lovely sort of tartan pattern on it and it, it kind of looks kind of like you want to eat it. There's something kind of sort of quite tasty about it. So you go over and you sit on it, and you think like, should I be sitting on the sofa because it's been outside, but it's actually really comfortable. And then you sort of just smell it, and it smells quite sort of like fragrant, like flowers. And you're like, hmm, actually this is quite nice. And you just take a bite of it, and it's actually quite tasty. And then as you look, there's a TV. And you're like, oh my god! And then you turn the TV on. It's like, why is this TV being powered from? It's out in the bloody open. And you turn it on, and there's those bloody <laughs> kangaroo girls, kangaroo on. girls on there <laughs> doing doing bloody uh, <laughs> Spice Girls at you. But there's something quite sort of like, yeah, you think you think because it's a modern cocktail, it should have a sort of modern metaphor. But I think like there's something about the bourbony taste of it. It actually feels quite reminiscent of something quite comforting from your past. And well, I think roses are evocative of that as well. They are, aren't they? To me, they are. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's kind of crisp and clean and sharp and mellow. It's kind of strange. Yeah. It's a bit like the Gangaroo Girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 Good. Okay. Hello, darlings. How are you doing? Oh, you're looking very tanned, Paul. Why is that? Have you been on the tanning bed again? Have you taken those free tokens that I gave you the other day? I'm going gangaroo style. You're going gangaroo style? <laughs> you know, I started that craze. <laughs> Uh, now it makes sense yes yes well you know i was you know i put on a little bit too much uh fake tan one day just on my way to japan and then you know people as they flock around me as they do uh, they just they just thought i was absolutely uh, magical they just they actually thought i was an alien being from another planet i mean me who would think that anyway darling <laughs> are no you ready to that. play <laughs> who wants to be a Cocktail! Okay, darling, so, are you ready to play the game? The rules are very simple. I will give you a clue for a cocktail. Guess Hmm. that right. Get 10,000 adulation points. And I'll give you three cryptic clues that will relate to the episode. Get that right. 10,000 adulation points. Get them both together and win 50,000 adulation points. And if you get it right, email them in to nogarnish at fastmail.fm or you can send them in to our little Instagram at nogarnishpod. Right. Are you ready for the cocktail? Yeah. Is the cocktail... I'd like to get this clarified for me off. Is the cocktail and the clues, are they the same thing or are they two different things? They're two different things this week. Okay, right. Okay, so the cocktail is two ounces of bourbon, one ounce of grapefruit juice, half an ounce of St. Germain or elderflower cordial, one rinse of Eilie Scotch, two dashes of grapefruit bitters, and half a sprig of rosemary. Lightly muddle the rosemary, add the ingredients, except the scotch, shake vigorously, oh, always shake it vigorously, darling, until chilled. Heavily rinse chilled cocktail glass with lalavalulakin and double strain the ingredients into the same glass. <laughs> what was that word? Lagavalulin. Lagavulin? Yes, that's okay. what I said. Um, anyway, okay, <laughs> on to the cryptic clues. Are you ready? Yeah, go on. Cryptic clue number one. My stories have taken us into a magical nutsats, demonic 
bottomless brunches, pigs who can fly, and young women with old hearts. Old women with young hearts, that's the one. <laughs> Cryptic clue number two. Being true to my culture, I'm a workaholic who takes pride in hard work, being the honest truth to any fantasy. And cryptic clue number three. We keyframed a partner powerhouse bringing two megaliths of pencil and ink into the world. Okay, right, I've got a dash now, darling. I've got to go have my beauty sleep. You see, I've not been sleeping very much because I've been partying like a little ravish whore! Ha ha! See you later, girls! Bye! A what whore? I don't know. Like a radish tour. A radished? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> don't want to know what that looks like I down have, below. I have no idea what that all means. I was telling my friends in Spain recently about how sometimes when you get calamari, it isn't calamari, it's pig intestines. Oh. Did you know that? No. Yeah, and they just, they almost like refuse to believe me. Is that right? And I was going, yeah, lots, you know, there's quite a few foods that aren't, what they are and I went like for instance seaweed yeah it isn't seaweed seaweed isn't seaweed yeah 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 and wasabi wasabi isn't wasabi is it not because wasabi is a type of radish right but the green wasabi you get it's not usually made from wasabi because it's oh, really right. expensive oh right so they do like a cheap like alternative a fake one yeah. yeah, I saw a video today about um, how often if you get boneless ribs at a restaurant, yeah. it's not actually rib meat because that's much more expensive. Oh, they just okay. cut, cut up cheaper meat to make it look like boneless ribs. Right. Yeah. And my point was proved a couple of days later. We went to a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. She ordered seaweed, my friend. Yeah. And what came out was sliced green beans. No way. It, it wasn't even, you know, like we have, like yeah. over here, we've got like the cabbage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Crispy fried cabbage. Yeah. No, they were just passing off like chopped up green beans. Oh, no, that's terrible. In a kind of sweet sauce. No. It was nothing like seaweed. That's terrible. But I was impressed by their ingenuity. <laughs> I know, but they're still terrible. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I want the fried cabbage. Um, so, uh, last uh, episode's Who Wants to Be a Cocktail, if you got it right, the clues were for the game Uncharted. So, was their cocktail the Nathan Drake? Ah, yes. Uh, the, the cocktail was Drake's Deception Cocktail oh, right. from Uncharted 3. Okay. So, um, the clues were a modern-day indie, but by no means with an indie budget. Well, that was a little curveball then, because the game obviously was an indie game. Mm. But he was a mo modern-day Indiana Jones. Yes. So, a modern-day indie, spelt differently. Uh, the second clue was, I've come a long way since Duck Hunter, as I travel the globe seeking my fortune. Well, uh, the last game was called um, Drake's Fortune, I think. Yeah. And, Hang um, on, but what's Duck Hunter? Well, Duck Hunter is a computer game, isn't it? So it's come a long way since an early computer game like Duck Hunter. Oh, I see. Right, okay. And then the third tr uh, clue was, I'm a trigger-happy-go-lucky chappy with a quick draw and a quip tongue. And as you know, if you played the games, Nathan Drake racks up quite a big kill streak in it, isn't it? Yeah, he kills a lot of people. <laughs> and he does it like with, with a sort of perk in his tail and a quick quip, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> he like just mows down a load of like mercenaries that are after him and he's like ha ha see you later suckers as he just oozes them all down i love the way like nathan drake and lara croft have probably smashed more antique vases and ornaments than they've collected yeah definitely yeah they've definitely yeah. trashed more stuff <laughs> yeah than they've yeah, saved yeah. i think the thing i loved about uncharted was that it really did feel like a modern day indiana jones didn't it they're amazing games. you know i love the uncharted games. they're really good fun and yeah. actually and it was a shame about the movie because i was really looking forward oh, to the film i still haven't seen that yeah i mean give it a watch but the casting was just all wrong yeah i mean i know tom holland's all the, all the the shit now but like you know he's all the rage but he he's just wasn't nathan drake he's no nathan drake and mark Wahlberg as sully just didn't work at he's all not sully so it didn't really encapsulate the franchise at all no really it, it still wasn't un unpleasant but it could have been more yeah basically sure yeah um and then that's it really for me i'm done cool so i didn't manage to get together the wheel of mixed fortune Next episode is a surprise. Yay! I like surprises. Even I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. And it'll be thrilling. <laughs> ha!
<laughs> I just remembered I was going to talk about The Last Samurai. Were you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Now you remember. Yeah, I completely forgot that I was going to mention it because that's quite an interesting um, contextual film about Japan having to embrace the West and yeah. getting rid of their tradition of the samurai right. and embracing Western military and Western kind of ideas of democracy in order to progress with the times so that would have been perfect would have been perfect but oh well it was a good death <laughs> on this episode yeah <laughs> okay that's it end of the episode thanks ever so much to everyone for listening thank you and we can't seem to finish the episode we either. can't no. we're just a shambles today aren't we the never-ending episode say goodbye reese bye Chin cheers女の方が得かなと思います。ま、仕事とかもそんなに好きなようにラベルし、親しなうとかそんなも考えんでいいし、なんか奢ってもらったりとかもできるし。普通になんか過ごしててそうやと思ったことがないから。男、え、男性男性